0: Well, it's funny because it's true, right? <laughs> Those are things we would never, never hear from a, from a dad. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, someone was telling me just before the service, that, uh, I'm not sure who it was, but uh, that the bass player will be in the foyer after service for some autographs. am not sure what that was about or actually who said that, but nonetheless. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, I, I, I hope that your day is filled with um, relaxation and whatever you want to do as long as your wife says it's okay all right so but no I, I am uh, I am both honored and humbled uh, that Pastor Les would ask me to speak on, a, on a, such an important day and, um, and so this message today um, is a message for everyone it's, uh, it doesn't really matter if uh, you're a male or female 13 years old or 93 years old, this message will will be for everyone. But specifically, I want to speak to the dads today. Dads, we we uh, have a lot of responsibilities in life, would you agree? We do, we do. One of the greatest gifts that we dads can give our children is the example of a spirit-led life. I'm going to say that again. One of the greatest gifts that we dads can give our children Children is the example of a spirit-led life. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. And with parenting, with being a father, with being a dad, we have a lot of responsibility. We provide for our families, right? We provide protection for our families. We take care of the home. If it breaks, we're going to try to fix it, right? Even if we have to YouTube it, we're going to figure it out. We're going we're to get there we got to take care of the cars. We're going to YouTube that, too. Trust me, I've YouTubed many things on my old truck. We take out the trash, every man's basic duty, right? Take that trash out. And then my personal favorite, unclog the drains. (laughs) Now, if you know me a little bit, I have two beautiful women in my house who have long, beautiful hair, thick hair, lots of hair, hair everywhere including the drains. My favorite, by the way. Oh, and of course, we can't forget mowing the lawn, right? That's right, we gotta get out there, we get on the lawn mower, we mow the lawn, and every man, after the lawn has been cut, has to stand there for a few uninterrupted uninterrupted minutes to marvel (laughs) at what we've just created. Am I right? We know we do it, you know you do it. You just stand there until you just I, I, okay. I just I I, I got to move on. It was, but isn't it, it a beautiful thing? We help parent our children. We deal with conflict. We discipline our children, and the list goes on and on. Well, I'm gonna these next couple of things. I, I actually got from an article focused on the family, and though this list of responsibilities are pretty important, there are some responsibilities that us dads have that are a little under the surface that we may not always pick up on. See if some of, some of these might sound somewhat familiar. We're responsible for helping our children develop self-confidence. We're responsible for providing our children a sense of protection and security. We're responsible for encouraging our children to take risks appropriately. We're responsible for helping our children learn how to deal with stress and disappointment. We introduce them to competition and how to win and lose with class. We teach our children how to be independent. We teach them how to work and to achieve. In an article written by Focus on the Family entitled The Significance of a Father's Influence, I want you to listen to what they have said based off of many different sources and many different research from psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists across the country Dads, for instance, love their children more dangerously. That's because they play rougher and are more likely to encourage risk-taking. They provide kids with a broader diversity of social experiences. They also introduce them to a wider variety of methods of dealing with life. They tend to stress rules, justice, fairness, and duty and discipline. In this way, they teach children the objectivity and consequences of what is right and what is wrong. They give kids insight into the world of men. And let's face it, men, it's a pretty complicated world, right? Said no woman ever. <laughs> <laughs> they prepare them for the challenges of life and demonstrate by example the meaning of respect between the sexes. Fathers encourage competition, engendering in independence. Mothers promote equity, creating a sense of security. Dads emphasize conceptual communication which helps kids expand their vocabulary and intellectual capacities. Moms major in sympathy care and help thus demonstrating the importance of relationships. Dads tend to see their child in relation to the rest of the world. Moms tend to see the rest of the world in relation to their child. Neither style of parenting is adequate in and of itself but taken together they balance each other out and equip the up-and-coming generation with a healthy, well-rounded approach to life. It's pretty important, right, men? Now, if that wasn't enough, if you're still not convinced, listen to this. 82% of studies on father involvement and child well-being published since 1980 found significant associations between father involvement and offspring well-being. In an analysis of over 100 studies, On parent-child relationships, it was found that having a loving and nurturing father was as important for a child's happiness, well-being, and social and academic success as having a loving and nurturing mother. Some studies even indicated that father love was a stronger contributor to some important positive child well-being outcomes. According to child psychologist Kyle Pruitt, A father's more active play style and comparatively slower response to a toddler or infant experiencing frustration served to promote problem-solving competencies and independence in the child. In the words of Dr. Pruitt, positive father care is associated with more pro-social and positive moral behavior in boys and girls. And listen to this. Children who feel a closeness and warmth with their father are twice as likely to go to college, 75% less likely to have a child in their teenage years, 80% less likely to be incarcerated. That means go to prison. And half as likely to show various signs of depression. And in a 26-year-long study, researchers found that the number one factor in developing empathy, the ability to experience, to feel what someone's experiencing, even though you haven't been through it, in children, was father involvement. Fathers spending regular time alone with their children translated into children who became compassionate adults. What do you think? Some some pretty serious stuff, right? So dads, as you can see, the role that we play in our children's lives uniquely shaped the minds, the hearts, and the behaviors of our kids for the rest of their life. So how do we do all these things? Do we need to make a checklist and check them off as we go? Do we need a chart or a diagram? Sometimes, you know, books with pictures are... Some, I like books with pictures. All right? Less words, and more pictures. I, I, I'll, I'll get the picture. Do we need all these things, or do we just need to answer this question with complete honesty? Am I living a spirit-led life. So I want to talk to us a little bit this morning, everyone, particularly dads, around this question. I want to talk about one of the most influential fathers this morning in all of human history. One of the most iconic fathers. And ironically, he's actually one of the least known men in all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, he only shows up in the Bible four times. And we're going to look specifically this morning At three of those times. And of course I'm talking about Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Joseph really only shows up in the Bible four times. And we don't know a whole lot about Joseph. We know that he was in the lineage of King David. We know he was, some historians and scholars believe he was born in Bethlehem. There's argument there, but certainly in the region of Judea. We know that he was a carpenter. And we know that he was a good man. Joseph was a good man chosen by God to take on one of the most challenging go- uh, jobs ever given—to raise a son that wasn't his own, to provide for him, to teach him, to protect him. Oh, and by the way, he's the son of God, and one day save the world from the sins. No pressure, right, Joseph? <laughs> Let's make sure we get that right. We know that Joseph was engaged to Mary. What we do know about Jewish culture in this time when it came to engagements, is this. When Joseph went to get engaged to Mary, engagements in this time period were very uh, a public matter. They weren't very super private. As a matter of fact, when a Jewish man wanted to get engaged to a Jewish woman, he had to have at least two witnesses, male witnesses, that were not related to either person. And when Joseph went to go get engaged with Mary, he had to make sure these witnesses were present. He had to give Mary a ring or a signed document that stated she would be pledged to him. So uh, let me just talk to the young man right here real quick. If you ever want to get engaged, plan on getting engaged, getting married, don't give her a signed document, okay? (laughs) Let's go the other way. (laughs) But there's no doubt that becoming engaged to Mary was a very public event. It was an event that the community at large would have celebrated, would have known about, which makes what we're about to read even harder for Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18-21, through 21, we see Joseph's first instance in all of Scripture. It says this, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man or a good man. And did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now the Bible describes Joseph as a good man. Righteous man. And Just to kind of flesh that out a bit. It really kind of meant that Joseph was... When it came to following Jewish law. Joseph was good at it. He was very good at following the Jewish laws and Jewish traditions. It meant that he was faithful. Thorough. Obedient and always quick to acknowledge God as the one true God. Jewish law at this time stated that if Mary did commit adultery inside a pledged and engaged relationship, Joseph knew that her punishment could be death. And Joseph, who loved Mary, wanted no such thing, and he sought to break off the engagement quietly. But Joseph, might I just remind you, was just a man. He was a good man, but he was just a man. Not divine, not superhuman. And I have to imagine, when it came to handle this situation with Mary, that Joseph struggled and wrestled. It seems to him that the love of his life had committed publicly, that had, who was publicly married, uh, publicly engaged to Joseph, had committed a horrible sin against God and brought shame and embarrassment to Joseph. And I put myself in Joseph's situation. Can you imagine what Joseph had to have been feeling? How did he find out? Who told him? Was it just Mary? Did Mary just start showing and he start figuring some things out? Did Mary tell him? How did Joseph feel? What was his initial response? Was he angry? Frustrated? Was he fearful about what would happen? What was going on? He certainly was disappointed. The anguish he had to be feeling trying to decide how to handle this delicate and potentially volatile situation. What would he do? Where could he possibly go? What would happen to Mary? And how would his reputation and her reputation and standing in the community be impacted? As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and he will name him, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel lord commanded, and took Mary to be his wife. So Joseph drifts off to sleep, and somehow, some way, in this dream, in this encounter with a supernatural being—an angel, a messenger from God—he hears these words: "Joseph, don't be afraid. It's okay. The child that she has was conceived by the Holy Spirit." And of course, he goes on to tell him he's going to be the son of God and save the world from their sins. Can you imagine when Joseph woke up from this dream or he came out of this, what he had to be thinking? Can you imagine? Now, the Bible says he went and took Mary immediately as his wife, but again, Joseph was just a man, not divine, not superhuman. Can you imagine the joy and the relief he eventually had to come to understand and that he was actually now going to get to do the very thing he hoped he would, was going to get to do all along. And that would be to take Mary as his wife. We see Joseph again in chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. After the last of men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for them and kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. So Joseph, here in the second time that we see him in Scripture, again, asleep. Most historians and scholars believe when this happened when, at this point in that Jesus was around the age two or three years old. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus have been living their life, doing what families do. Joseph's working, Mary's taking care of the home, and Jesus is learning and growing. And one night, Joseph gets this dream, and the angel tells him to get up and go to Egypt. Somebody wants to kill your son. Can you imagine having a supernatural encounter with an angel, with a messenger from the Lord? And the thing that he tells you is to get up and go to an unfamiliar place because someone wants to kill your only son. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been feeling and thinking in this moment? Maybe something like, we need to make sure we get all our things. Can you imagine Joseph waking up and thinking frantically through what do we need? What do I need to grab? I need to get this. Make sure we get Jesus' things. Make sure we get Mary. Mary, don't take that. No, you take this. And Joseph's trying to find his things. And, and while he's processing and going through all of this, he's asking what should we take? What should we leave? Where are we going in Egypt? Where will we live? How can I provide for my family when I get there? What will we encounter on the journey to this unfamiliar place? Well, the Egyptians even treat a Jewish family fairly. There's no doubt because again, Joseph, who was just a man, now a dad, not divine, not superhuman, would have been very concerned, possibly even afraid. The third time we see Joseph in Scripture is in verses 19 through 23. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to Israel. Because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. Most scholars and historians believe that this was about one to three years after they had settled in Egypt. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus. He was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Again, put yourself in Joseph's place. Finally settled in Egypt. One night, awoken probably to a familiar voice, a familiar face, a familiar sound, sights for sure. He's told to get up and go, go back to Israel. I find it interesting that the angel said, just go back to Israel. Is Joseph thinking, where, 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 go, where do I go back to Israel? Do, do, do I go back to what I'm familiar with, to what I know? Joseph gets up and he journeys back to Israel with his mother and Jesus. When Jesus gets back to Israel, most likely the region of Judah, he discovers that Herod's son Archelaus is in power, and he's afraid to go to where Bethlehem is. Joseph was warned in another dream not to go there, so they left for the region of Galilee. Joseph was not shown the whole picture when he left Egypt. There were so many unknowns for Joseph. Again, in this journey, he's thinking, is it really safe to return? Can I go back to Bethlehem to what I once knew? What would it be like after being gone for so long? Joseph, no doubt, faced many uncertainties and many unknowns. Like Joseph, who was just a man, just a dad, not divine, not superhuman, certainly faced many emotions. He was given the task of taking care of his family during some really stressful and difficult times. As I was studying this, I realized, or I had a, I had a thought, or just something that came to my mind, and, and um, it was this. After the first time the angel appeared to, to Joseph, the next two times, why didn't an angel appear to Mary? And tell Mary to tell Joseph it's time to go to Egypt, we go to Egypt. To tell Mary to tell Joseph it's time to go back to Israel. Why, why didn't God do that? Now, I think it's just a very simple answer, men. God intended the man to lead his family, to protect his family, to watch over his family. And sometimes in the leading men, we face times in life that cause us to deal with things much like Joseph faced. Like Joseph dads men we too face disappointment fear and uncertainty and thank goodness that Joseph dealt with the disappointment faced the fears and trusted God through uncertainties in the three instances that we've just talked about so how did Joseph make it through the disappointment they're finding not Mary that was pregnant. How did, he, uh, how did he get over the fears of the unknown journey to Egypt? How did he push forward when facing all the uncertainties of returning to Israel? And the answer is easy. An angel came down on a supernatural way and told him what to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, we look at that like, well, that makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? It certainly would in Joseph's case. I'm sure he found some comfort in what the angel was telling him. But dads, let's face it. Most of us in this room are not great at dealing with emotions. And I'm not talking about the kind of emotions that cause us to cry. You know, I mean, most men, if you cry, you don't do it publicly. <laughs> it's, it's in your shop, it's in the woods, it's, it's on the boat while you're fishing where nobody can see. But I'm not talking about the kind of emotions this morning that cause us to shed a tear. I'm talking about emotions that make us feel weak or inferior emotions that we're too embarrassed to talk about. Emotions like disappointment, fear, and uncertainty. And like most of us do, men, we're good at this, we stuff it, we don't deal with it. We push it to the side, we ignore it, we hope it goes away, and before you know it, we become distant, discouraged, and disconnected. Distant from our wives, Disconnected from our children, distant from our children, disconnected from church, and disconnected from fellowship. And maybe the Lord allowed me to speak this morning to speak a little bit of insight into what we do when we're faced with these emotions. Emotions like disappointment. Let's talk about disappointment for a second. Disappointment, according to Dr. Tara Well from Psychology Today, is an emotion, a form of sadness, a feeling of loss, an uncomfortable space, or a painful gap between our expectations and reality? In other words, disappointment results when my hopes and expectations are not fulfilled. Now, you didn't need me to stand up here this morning and give you a nice fancy definition of disappointment, did you? We know what disappointment is. We know what it feels like, we know what it smells like, we know what it tastes like. And I'm not talking about the disappointment that I experience every three out of four Braves games that I watch. (laughs) I'm talking about disappointment, real disappointment. Disappointment like the loss of a job that causes financial strain. Disappointment like the unexpected loss of a loved one or the loss of a child. Disappointment when a friend betrays your trust. Disappointment of a spouse who was not faithful. The disappointment of the promotion that never came. The disappointment that just says, I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in the mistakes and the things that I've done and wish I could go back and fix. I'm disappointed in fill in the blank. Disappointment that is not dealt with, listen, men, everyone, disappointment that is not dealt with will begin to consume you. It will begin to impact everyone around you. If not put in the proper perspective, disappointment will cause us to become angry, bitter, depressed, and become self reliant. We begin to focus on what we can do. To try and reverse the disappointment that we're dealing with. We begin to rely on ourselves. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you recognize this emotion. Maybe you're very, very familiar with what disappointment feels like. And if you're honest, you're struggling through disappointment. And if you're honest, you could use a little help. Well, the good news is this morning is that God does provide help, actually. He provides a helper. Rarely, listen, rarely does God simply want to deliver us from our disappointments or our misery. Oftentimes, he allows us to experience disappointment so that we learn how to rely on him alone. In a book, it's not a book, it's a Christian author, uh, Jonathan Evans. Jonathan Evans, as the name sounds familiar, probably probably is Jonathan Evans is the son of the well-known pastor Tony Evans and he wrote a book called your time is now I was cutting grass the other day marveling at the streaks and lines that I was making in the glass in the grass and I slowly pulled my lawnmower to a stop because what I just heard I heard Jonathan Evans in an interview by none other than Rick and Bubba on the Rick and Bubba show. I heard Jonathan Evans make this statement. Oftentimes, our greatest ministry comes from our greatest misery. Maybe that's why God doesn't always want to deliver us from our disappointment. And, Dads, let me tell you, the greatest ministry that you and I will ever do Is right inside our own homes. It's right inside the walls of our house. It's the greatest ministry we can ever have and we can ever accomplish. Let's talk about fear. Joseph, no doubt, experienced some fear, some concern on his journey to Egypt and what he didn't know. Fear is defined as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined, and again, let's let's qualify fear a little bit. I'm not talking about the fear that says, well, don't put me on that ladder," you know, "Don't put me in that tight space," you know, "I don't want to see any of those slithering reptiles." <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of fear. Those those fear that's real fear. We, we we experience those things, but fear is real. And men, for honest, this is probably the one emotion. We're least likely to admit experiencing. To admit fear would mean I'm less of a man. To admit fear would make me look weak, vulnerable, and not in control. So what kind of fear am I talking about? The kind of fear that makes statements like this, I'm afraid I'm going to fail and let God down. I'm afraid I'm going to fail and let my family down. I'm afraid I won't know what to do when that situation comes. I'm afraid of what my future holds. I'm afraid of making the wrong decision. You see, fear often creates a longing for what is comfortable and known. Fear can cause us to become complacent, unwilling to move out of the familiar. Fear stops us. From moving forward in Christ. It creates doubt that God our Father can be trusted to do for us what is his good and perfect will. Fear, when winning, will inevitably cause us to take our attention off of our Heavenly Father and make us focus on ourselves. And When we do this, we then try and protect ourselves from further hurt and disappointment. We then try to control and manipulate everything and everyone around us. We become completely dependent on ourselves and not on our Heavenly Father. When people think about the emotion of fear, we don't often associate this with pride. And as I was studying, preparing for this message over the last couple of weeks... I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of stopped me and gave me a little bit of insight to where pride really comes from. If fear is not dealt with, it can lead to insecurity, and insecurity produces pride. If we are insecure, it means that we have taken our eyes and attention off of what the Word says about what God affords me through His Holy Spirit and how He views me. I'm going to say that one more time. If I am insecure, it means that I have taken my eyes and attention off of what the Word says about what God affords me through His Holy Spirit and off of how He views me. The enemy will use fear to bring about insecurity, and as a result, pride will seep in and cause us to try and handle it on our own. I begin to self-preserve so that I won't have to deal with the discomfort of disappointment when things aren't going the way I want them to go. And then I begin to take control. Sound familiar? Ever been there? Never dealt with that? Let's talk about uncertainty for just a second. Joseph, no doubt, experienced, again because he was just a man, just a dad, not divine, not superhuman. On his journey back to Israel, the unknowns, the uncertainty that faced him. Uncertainty is an emotion that we experience when we simply just don't know what the outcome will be. If I find myself constantly asking questions like this, will there be enough money after we pay the bills? What are we going to do if it doesn't work out this time? How are we going to do that? Will I be happy with the outcome? If you're asking some of these things and you're saying some of these things, then maybe you're struggling with uncertainty. And it's easy to see how uncertainty goes hand in hand with disappointment and fear. Men's, if uncertainty is simply what I don't know, then does what I don't know scare me? Does it bring apprehension? Does it make me want to control the situation? And let's face it, there are a lot of eyes on us, a lot of very important eyes on us, the eyes of our spouses, the eyes of our children. And it's certainly at some point in our lives, we're going to have to deal with these things if we're not currently dealing with them. And one thing's for sure, our children will one day also handle these emotions. One day our children will experience disappointment. One day our children will experience fear. Crippling fear. fear that makes them want to be complacent and not move forward. Uncertainty that makes them fearful. So how do we handle these? What do we do do with these emotions? Well, we were never meant to handle these on our own. The good news is, is that God provides a way for us to handle these emotions. That for us men... And honestly, us all, everyone, is difficult to deal with. I want, to, I want you to read these scriptures with me as we flush out this morning how to handle these and what we're supposed to do with it. First of all, we bring it to the Lord. John 14, 16 says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper, a counselor, a comforter, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it doesn't—it it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and will later be in you. At the very beginning today, I made the statement. I forgot what it was. One of the greatest gifts us dads can give our children is the example of a spirit-led life. What does it look like to be spirit-led? I asked the question earlier, am I living a spirit-led life? Am I living a life that lets the spirit lead? How do we do that? What does that look like? God gives us a helper, a helper in the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you, ever leave you, never leave you. He's always leading beside us, behind us, in front of us, with us, inside of us. He will lead you into all truth, especially when we're disappointed, especially when we're facing fear, and especially when we're facing uncertainty. The world cannot receive him because they aren't looking for him. I have to ask this morning. Are we looking for him? When we are coming to church week in and week out, when we're going to work, when we're in the yard cutting grass, are we looking for the spirit in our lives, in all things, and in all areas? Are you looking for the spirit in your disappointment? Or are we too focused on not getting what we wanted? Are we looking for his spirit when you're fearful Or are we too full of pride and complacency? Are we looking for his spirit in our uncertainty? Or are we too focused on what we don't know? Do you recognize him? Do you recognize the Holy Spirit? Do you know him enough to recognize? There he is. When I'm feeling the disappointment, when I'm experiencing the fear and the uncertainty, am I looking for him? And do I recognize him? John 14, 26 to 27 says this, but when the Father ascends the advocate, there it is again, the helper, the advocate, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach me everything I need to know and will remind me of everything he has told me. Listen to what Jesus says. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift That you can't get from this world. So, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about your disappointment. Don't worry about your uncertainty. He will teach you everything you need to know, which means He will teach us why we're experiencing the disappointment we're experiencing. We will figure it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will lead us through that, He will remind us of everything. We have ever learned or need to know about the Lord. He will remind you why you should not be afraid. He will provide the answer or the way when you don't know what to do. He is leaving us with a gift, a gift of the spirit, the gift of peace of mind and heart that only comes from his spirit. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. John fifteen twenty six. but I will send you the Advocate. The spirit of truth. Now, men, I want to just, if you are looking for a new Bible, if you're looking for something that just you want to change up from things, and I know Pastor Les has said this. I got my Bible before he did, actually, so he was copying me. <laughs> this is a good Bible. It's called the Every Man's Bible, and it breaks down the Scriptures. It gives you insight and things in that. And in relation to John fifteen twenty six, here's what Quote I got from the Everyman's Bible. It says this, and it's on the screen. It is crucial that we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. As the source of all truth, he gives wisdom to help us examine our lives. He helps us see past our self-deception. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God's word, holds us accountable to other believers, and conforms us to the image of his Son. He can guide us to an accurate perception of ourselves, just like an unflattering mirror. The result will be convicting, but fulfilling, so much so that we cannot help but to share the good news with others. John 16, 13-14, when the spirit of truth comes. There is truth inside your disappointment. There's truth around the corner from your fear. There's truth to be found in our moments of uncertainty. And it's the truth that comes only from the Spirit. I don't have time to completely unpack this scripture. But this is a powerful insight into where truth comes from. God is truth. He is love. God is truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth all things what you need to know what you need to understand what you need to know about your disappointment why you are afraid how to become dependent upon god he will guide you into all truth <coughs> excuse me he will not speak on his own he will tell you what he has heard from who the father he will tell you about the future He will bring glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. These are Jesus' words. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. I find a massive amount of comfort in this. When I am living a Spirit-led life, when I am pursuing God and his presence every day, when I am living a spirit-led life and I know that the spirit is speaking truth, I can rest assured that what I'm hearing, what I'm sensing, and what I'm feeling comes directly from the Father. Because the Father is in tune where you are, where we are, what you're experiencing, what you're going through. The fear, the uncertainty, the disappointment that we're too sometimes embarrassed to talk about or deal with. God speaks directly into that with words from his very throne given to, Him, given to us by his spirit. That should bring us comfort. That should bring us an excitement. That, that, that right there should make me look at everything that is coming my way that is in the shape or form of disappointment or fear or uncertainty and say, I know I may be disappointed, and I may not understand it, and it might be a while before I really understand what's going on here, but I will trust the truth of his word and the truth of his spirit. Amen? Amen. You know, we talked a little bit earlier that sometimes fear can cause complacency. Fear can cause us to leave what we know as familiar. And I love this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word here for power is dunamis. It literally means might, strength, ability, physical power, force, or energy. You know what that means? That means that when I am fearful, when the enemy throws a massive heap of fear in my direction, and it makes me want to take control, it makes me want to stay put, it doesn't make me want to do anything outside of what I can control, the Holy Spirit comes and gives us the power to keep moving forward, gives us the strength to say, I will trust in his word, I will believe what he says, I know what he says about me, I understand the promises that he's given me in my life, and I will keep moving forward in the name of Jesus by the power that comes from his Holy Spirit. Romans 8:26 to 27 says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He helps me when I am weak. Men, there are areas we are weak in, and I know we don't like to admit it, and I know we don't like to talk about it, and I know we don't even like to talk about it with our spouses sometimes. But we have areas in our lives where we are weak. where we need strength help when we don't know what to do with it when it makes us feel inferior and vulnerable and out of control for example we don't know what god wants us to pray for but the holy spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words We read through this sometimes and we hear that and we think, what does that really mean? And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads with us believers in harmony with God's will for us. He goes between us and the Father and He goes back and forth finding out what the Father has for us, finding out what the Father's will for us and the Holy Spirit stands in the gap And he utters groanings. The Greek word for groanings is stignogmos. And it's literally a sighing. Especially brought on by circumstances creating great pressure. You know what that means? Men, dads, when we feel the pressure. When we're dealing with these emotions that no one likes to deal with and no one likes to experience. And we're feeling the pressure and we don't know what to do the holy spirit stands between us and the father and he takes that pressure on and he prays with the pressure that we're experiencing and that we're feeling he allows us to rest in that peace that he promised in the beginning he gives us a gift the gift of the holy spirit that brings a peace and a comfort We can rest in that peace and the comfort because the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, stands between us and the Father, and he relieves that pressure. Praying before the Father, praying for us. When the pressure is too great to utter words ourselves. Galatians 5.16. Jack, you can go ahead and play some music. Galatians 5.16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Does he? Are you surrendered enough to let him lead? Galatians 5.22 says this. The Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in, this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Dads, Everyone. Do you recognize those fruit? Do you recognize the ones that you struggle with? Do we recognize the ones we, there's just no evidence of that in my life. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul talks a lot about the Spirit and the flesh. When we feed our spirit, the flesh decreases. Galatians 5.25 says "Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we live? A spirit-led life. There's four things that the Lord showed me, and I feel like they're pretty basic things. But men are men of action, right? We like to move. We like to do. These things require action. How do we live a spirit-led life? Number one, we have to have a consistent walk with the Lord. Yeah, that is pretty basic. (laughs) you got to have more than that. I mean, come on. Well, in that consistent walk, we have to have consistent and daily prayer. We have to have consistent and daily worship. We have to have consistent and daily surrender. We have to have consistent Fellowship with other believers. And so I ask you today is there an area in your life that lacks consistency when it comes to your walk with the Lord? You see, living a spirit led life is not that complicated. It can be difficult, but it's really not that complicated. To experience the Holy Spirit the way the scripture says we were supposed to and I, I don't know if you noticed this and I forgot to explain this but in those scriptures of the Holy Spirit the underlying words were all of the action words that the Holy Spirit does for us the Holy Spirit is ready to move the Holy Spirit is ready to act in our lives he wants us in a state of surrender so that we can hear and be aware. Is there an area of your life that's lacking consistency? If you're honest. Number two, men, find a brother who displays the fruit and evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives and build a relationship with them. Talk to them. Get to know them. Pick their brains. Glean from them. Number three, be accountable. Get involved in a small group or discipleship opportunity here at the church. Here's what I do know. And here's really what we're talking about. If we make room in our life for the spirit to fill, guess what? He will. Is there room? Have we filled it with other things? are we so full of disappointment fear uncertainty or other things in our life have we narrowed the space inside of us that the spirit can feel or are we making room for him to to feel it stand with me this morning number four in everyone give of your talents and your time how do we live a spirit led life what do we do we got to take action there's some things that we got to do there's some things that we're responsible for right dads like all those responsibilities and all the things we do at home to take care of the home and to take care of the house and to take care of the family and we go to work and we go to the ballpark and we do all these things And those responsibilities are important. Don't misunderstand me. They are 100% important. But dads, we are the head of the household. Research shows our children are more likely to do, to handle the complications of life the same way they see us handle them. This life's hard enough on our own. But God never intended for us to walk it alone. 1 Corinthians 12 confirms that the Spirit has given all of us specific gifts. In verse 7, prior to this, the the Spirit reminds us that the gifts given by the Spirit are given to us to help one another. Here's what I want to do this morning to, to close this out. I want to ask all the men. To come down front. Men, dads, come on. Come on down. It's my prayer this morning that if we walk out of here with anything, we walk out of here at least thinking about how much space we've created in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to feel, getting us to think at least about the consistency of which we walk with the Lord. We can't lead our households the way God intended us to lead our households without a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. We just can't do it. We We can try our best. We can try our hardest. But men, we need the power that God affords us through His Holy Spirit operating and active in our life every single day. Every day. I start off, we start off in an act of surrender. Every day we come before the Lord in prayer consistently. So, men, here's what I want us to do. To the best of your ability, I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of a brother close to you. Excuse me. The one thing I know that the enemy tries to do with men is to isolate us. To feel like we're the only one dealing with whatever we're dealing with. That we're the only one in this boat. So try to figure it out. Men, we need each other. We have to have the support of a brother in the fellowship. That's the way God intended it. And here it is. I'm going to pray just a general prayer over you. But men, the hand of of the shoulder that you're on, I want you to lift your brother up in prayer. I want you to pray that God will empower him through the Holy Spirit to live a more consistent life. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill, not some weird hokey way, but will, will fill us up with the power that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you never intended us to walk this alone. Father, you never intended us to walk through this life and this journey dealing with emotions dealing with things <clears throat> that we were not meant to carry on our own. Father, I know that I can't lead my family. I can't lead my wife. I can't lead my family and my children apart from your Holy Spirit. I can't do it. Father, I recognize that I am weak. I recognize that I am weak. I recognize that I need you every day, every minute, every hour. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with the power that you offer us. Father, fill us that we may lead according to your word. Fill us, Lord, that we may have the boldness, the courage. Father, Give us the wisdom and knowledge that we need that comes from the Holy Spirit. Help us to realize there are other men that we can lean on, that we can turn to. Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning for the reminder to not forget about your spirit. The reminder of what it means to lead a spirit-fed life, spirit-led life. Father we thank you for that And we praise you for it In the precious name of your holy son We say amen Amen, amen. Man I love you This church loves you <clears throat> Don't ever forget When you start to feel alone and isolated Call that brother Find him, call him up on the phone, text him. Are you busy? Can I talk? God intended us to have that fellowship. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. God bless you. Pastor Les.
1: Thank you, Brad, for, uh, for an incredible message this morning before we leave today we're going to do one more thing before we let you go this morning and uh, we have a group of students that are leaving this afternoon on a, uh, a week-long missions trip a group of uh, high middle school high school college students and youth leaders and and uh, some of them are in the first service and some of them are coming in right now who were in the second who were going to be in the second service so I'm going to ask everybody who's a part of the Seek Week team if you would uh, come here and stand up front and we as your church family want to have prayer over you this morning and uh, just let you know that we are with you and we are supporting you as you, uh, as you head off this week uh, and as they're all coming and, uh, and gathering around front, you guys just spread down on the left and the right. And as they come and get into place, I'm going to ask uh, if you have a, a, a teenager down here, if you're a mom or dad or a grandparent who's down here, uh, who's here this morning, if you want to come and stand behind them, and we're going to lift them up in prayer today and, and uh, pray for them for this next week. They're going to be leaving uh, this afternoon, and they're going to be uh, in Tennessee uh, all week long. They're going to be ministering at the Church of God Home for Children. Uh, that's in Servierville on uh, this week for a few days. They're also going to be ministering into in some ities, in some any, some inner city, inner city ministry in uh, in Chattanooga this week as well, and uh, and so uh, they're just going to have a great week. And uh, what a what a awesome looking group, everybody. Amen. And we also have a group that's here, uh, Pastor Kevin and Miss Renee's family from Ohio, uh, Renee's brother, Pastor Tim, is here with uh, a group of about 10 or 15 from their church who have come down to be a part of this as well, and uh, so we're glad that you guys are, are going to be with us too this week, and uh, we're just believing a great week. Uh, so Jack, give us some more prayer music, because we can't pray without prayer music, right? <clears throat> and uh, and I want you out here, I know we just had a, a prayer for dads, but let's pray for these students today. And, uh, and I've got a little prayer cheat sheet this morning because I want to make sure I, I get the things that I want us to pray over them this morning. Guys, we love you. We are proud of you. And we're excited about what God's going to do this week in your life as you go and minister. You represent our church. You represent your church in Ohio and uh and we know that you're going to do that well with integrity but more than anything else and I, and you know this because i know pastor kevin and miss renee pound it into you all the time you represent jesus and uh as soon as you get here this afternoon and you're in the van game on you are game. It's, you don't get any time off until you get back okay because at any moment You never know when God wants to use you. And that's what we're going to pray for today. So will you grab hands with somebody who's next beside you if you can? Parents, if you'll lay hands on your kids this morning. And church family, y'all still out there? Give us about three more minutes. Will you stretch your hand this way and will you pray with us today? God, we thank you today, Lord, for this team of adults and young men and young women, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And college students, God, who have committed this week to you. God, they've committed their lives to you. and They've committed service to you. And so today we pray over them. And God, we pray safety, Lord, today. We pray you'll watch over them and protect them. As they're on the roads, back and forth, in between their locations, Lord, protect them as they're in situations, God, that that may be a little more dangerous than they are normally used to, God, watch over them and protect them. God, we pray for good health this week. We pray that everybody would be well in their bodies, and we pray, God, you'll watch over them in those areas. God, we pray for camaraderie this this week, and friendship, and patience, Lord, that as they get along with each other. lifetime bonds of, of fellowship and of community, God, would build between these students. Lord, we pray that over them today. God, we pray for anointing today for ministry. God, we pray for divine appointments today. Lord, those God moments, Lord, that... At at every time, God, when you want to do something through them, God, may they be sensitive and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And God, may they be led by you in everything that they do this week. And God, lastly, Lord, we pray for transformation and life change. Lord, we pray that it would take place in the lives of every one of these students and in every one of these adults and in our pastors as well, that God You would do something in them that they would never be the same. Lord, may they see something. May they experience something. May they encounter something. Lord, may those, Lord, who've never known what it's like to truly sense the power of the Holy Spirit working through them and using them. God, may they experience those God moments this week. And Lord, we pray those things over them today, and we look forward to hearing, God, what you're going to do. And we celebrate with them and send them off with a blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's remember all week, church family, to keep them in in your prayers. They'll be leaving this afternoon. They'll be coming back a week from today and two weeks from today. Sunday, July the 11th is Seek Week Sunday, and they're going to have the service, both services that morning, and they'll be leading mu- leading worship that day and sharing testimonies and giving stories and video. It's always a, a great day. So, guys, we love you. Have a great week. Uh, if you need us, call us, and be nice to Pastor Kevin and Miss Renee and Pastor Tim, all right? God bless you. We'll see you back here Wednesday night, church family, at 7 o'clock for Family Ministries Night. Dads. Get a gift on the way out. Grab a bag. There's chocolate in there, so don't leave it in your car. Happy Father's Day.